Welcome again to the Ken Pierpont Story Podcast. Today's podcast is is number five. It's actually chapter number five uh, in a little audio book that I've created in the last five, last four or five um, podcast called Lessons from the Porch. And today's chapter is number is named Numbers. When God began to move my heart to pray more faithfully, more frequently, more fervently. I knew that prayer was a clear command and emphasis of the Bible. I didn't need any confirmation of that. All I had to do was open my Bible and read the place of prayer in the life of men and women of God, the place of prayer in the life of the church, the place of prayer in the life of our Savior, Jesus. But there was something more that troubled me and has for many, many years. I've read dozens of books, scores of articles, and I've attended conferences and had hundreds of conversations with fellow pastors whose ministry skills I admire to discover the adjustments that need to be made to see increase in the church. Church increase is a good thing if it's something that God has given, but there can be a painful, dangerous, subtle idolatry in it for me. If I'm not careful, the default setting of my soul will tell me that all that's wrong will be right if there are more people in the pews and if the church prospers as an organization. I can depend too heavily on the numbers for a sense of personal affirmation, and that's a painful, dangerous trap for a pastor. There is a temptation to try to be someone you're not in ministry, to try to copy the ministry gifts and leadership styles of people who have experienced the the increase you desire. God has gifted each of us uniquely. Trying to reproduce the leadership style of another is like trying to defeat Goliath in Saul's armor. The roots of this weakness are deep in my heart. I was only 14 when I knew that I would pursue pastoral ministry, and I began immediately to be a student of the pastoral calling. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather's a pastor. The continual conversation around our dinner table and on long card rides was speculation about what it was that made churches flourish. How could we see more people become followers of Jesus? What should we emphasize? What did other people do to achieve such impressive attendance numbers. My dad read inspiring stories about growing churches with dynamic pastors and flourishing ministries, but that level of success always eluded us. The church's dad pastor always grew. He was faithful and sincere. Mom and the whole family were engaged in the ministry, but the level of increase was always modest. As a result, dad usually was a bivocational pastor. He would take a small church that could not afford a full-time pastor, and he would get a school teaching assignment within a commuting distance of the church. With this bivocational arrangement, and in churches that were often small for very good reasons, the kind of growth that you read about in ministry success books is unlikely. It didn't happen for us. Longing for a ministry of 1,000, we usually had a ministry south of 100. Sometimes churches are small because they're not healthy. They are There are people in control who should not be in control. They're unwilling to do things that need to be done in order for the church to be what God wants it to be. Conflict or friction or tension between people and pastor and infighting makes increase impossible. But it's not always the fault of the people. Other times, small churches or churches that are declining or plateaued are not growing because pastors feel pressure to make them grow and they import programs from other churches and they force them on the people. They assume that because they worked in one place, they'll work in every place, but they don't take into account other factors like the location of the church, 
the skills and the gifts of the people, the providential factors that make the church unique, or the leadership skill of the pastor himself. The people try to follow the pastor, but the efforts they make don't bring increase, and they end in frustration. Often the church suffers, leading to a pastoral change, and the new pastor comes into town with a new bag of ministry tricks, and the people have to go through the whole frustrating cycle again. Well, God was showing me the ministry idols in my heart. He was helping me discern my own gifts and skills and leadership style. And now, entering my ninth year of ministry at my current church, I had plenty of time to evaluate and meditate on what kind of pastor God wanted me to be and what I should depend on for the flourishing of the church. That led me to the emphasis on prayer and on personal pastoral care. It brought me full circle to a way of seeing ministry like a village parson. I saw that I should not primarily concentrate on trying to do things to get the church to grow. I should not put inordinate pressure on the people to use them to grow the church. Instead, I should know the state of the flock. I should arrange for the care of every member of the body. I should faithfully and passionately preach. I should identify other men who have the natural leadership in the church and inspire them to inspire others. I should lead the way God gifted me to lead and not frustrate myself by trying to be someone I'm not and then hurt the people by pressuring them to be something they're not. Years ago, a secretary said to me, Pastor, I think you should put your sermon titles in the bulletin. I'm not sure what my sermon titles are until just before I preached the message, I said. Charles Spurgeon didn't write his Sunday morning message until Saturday night, and he didn't write his Saturday night message till Sunday afternoon. And she answered, well, you're not Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) As you can imagine, that's not my favorite memory. But it is an important truth. A pastor should have a good awareness of how God has gifted him and where God has placed him. I'm not Spurgeon. You're probably not Spurgeon either. Spurgeons are rare. But I can be faithful and I can be fruitful even though I'm not Charles Spurgeon. I am people-oriented. I am creative. I have a busy mind. I am high energy. I'm verbal. It's been that way for years. You can see on every one of my report cards from my school days. Everyone who knows me knows that to be true. I'm not linear and left brain in my thinking. My thought process is more like fireworks than a flowchart. I have many tabs open in my mental browser all the time. I'm not high-powered Teddy Roosevelt, let's charge San Juan Hill kind of a leader. I'm not John Wayne or William Wallace. I'm Ken Pierpont. God led me to be a pastor. God gifted me to be a pastor. But I don't leap tall buildings in a single bound. I'm not faster than a speeding bullet or more powerful than a locomotive and I don't walk on water. I can call on you when you're in the hospital, though. I can pray for you by name. I can go to your child's soccer game. I can weep with you when you grieve. I can rejoice with you when you have something to celebrate. I'm actually pretty good at that. I can pray, I can study the Bible, and I can pay careful attention to your life and preach and teach in a way that's directly applicable to your life and family because I know you and I live where you live. And your favorite ministry mega gifted star can't do that for you. God has gifted and called local parsons to do that. And they should not spend their time spinning their wheels trying to be a local reincarnation of uh, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, Charles Stanley, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Smith, David Jeremiah. If the pastors try to do that, they're going to hurt themselves and they're going to hurt their people. 
Pastors are shepherds who know the flock and care for the flock. They should work intimately among their people until the sheep know their voice and follow them, even as the under-shepherd knows the voice of the chief shepherd and follows him. I'm not Charles Spurgeon. When I was very young and occasionally even now, I fantasize about what it would be like to preach to thousands and have people in foreign lands snatch up and read everything I write. There's a lot I'm not sure about, but one thing I know. I'm not Charles Spurgeon or Charles Stanley or Charles Swindoll. I'm just Ken, the village parson. You'll probably never meet the great Charles pastors. But if this church is your church and home you need and you need me, I'll do my best to be there for you. And I'll pray for you by name continually. And I'll pray for your children. And I'll pray about the state of your soul. And I'll try to shepherd your heart Godward every week. The heart of all that is prayer, personal, frequent, faithful prayer by name for each of those who are in my flock. Now, how do I know what people need? How do I know what temptations they face? How do I know who needs help and when and what kind of help they need? All this begins in the morning when I mention them by name, one at a time to the Lord. Well, I was sure God was at work in my heart, and I asked him to give me a confirmation that this new emphasis on faithful, fervent, frequent prayer was what he wanted me to emphasize in my ministry. The week of my experience on the porch, I began to create prayer lists of all the families in the church. I began to pray for them by name, dividing the list so that I would pray for about 50 to 60 families a day. I created files on Evernote, an app on my phone, so the list would always be with me on my phone and they would be easy to edit. While I was praying that first week, I came upon a name and I had a sense that I should connect with this young man. And uh, he was a husband and dad. Later that morning, I called him. I said, the Lord put you on my heart today. I wondered if you'd like to grab coffee sometime. I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, I've been pretty busy and, and I've been working six days a week, so I'm not off till Saturday at 12. Then he said something that surprised me and humbled me. He said, so we can meet at three on Saturday. The first free hour he had after a long, busy week of work, he was willing to give it to me because I prayed for him and because I cared about him. We met for coffee. We had a great talk. I learned a lot about him and his little family, his dreams, his frustrations, his temptations, his pressures, and his successes. It was a great meeting. Sunday morning when I stood to preach, he and his wife were sitting there in the very front row. I had prayed that week for a clear confirmation that this emphasis on prayer was the direction that God wanted me to take for the flourishing of the church. And when I saw that young couple in the front row, I knew God had confirmed the direction he gave me. That week, I spoke to the people about what God was teaching me about prayer. I told the people this, today, I'm going to tell you what God has been teaching me. I want you to let me know if any of you feel like he's been saying the same thing to you. Often, people are slow to adopt new ideas, and they lack enthusiasm about any new emphasis. But in this case, one after another, the people have come to me to tell me they believe God has been saying the same thing to them. Over and over, God has confirmed to me that this emphasis on prayer is biblically sound, pleasing to God, and universally applicable to any church, anywhere, anytime. So here is lesson number five. You are not Charles Spurgeon. So there you have it. These are the lessons from the porch. Lesson number one from the porch is this. Devote yourself to prayer in the same way you devote yourself to the ministry of the word. 
Lesson number two, pray for every member and every attender every week. Lesson number three, make prayer a priority. If you aren't praying for people, you really aren't pastoring people. Lesson number four, pray more. And lesson number five, you're not Charles Spurgeon. But you can be a faithful village parson, or you can be a faithful Sunday school teacher, or small group leader, but you can't be a faithful pastor. You can't be a faithful Sunday school teacher. You can't be a faithful small group leader or influencer of people spiritually unless you pray for them. I hope that you have benefited from lessons from the porch.